now that Thanksgiving is over, that means that we're moving pretty quickly here to, to Christmas. And typically, we like to preach through books of the Bible. And part of the reason why that's helpful and important is it forces us to deal with every single text. You can't skip over anything. Um, we just finished First uh, Corinthians and uh, thought it was a good time now as we're coming up to Christmas to consider specifically the coming of Christ. And so this is going to be a little bit different than what we normally do. Um, I have a few sermons here thinking about the coming of Christ, the Christmas story. So open your Bibles to Genesis. We're going to start at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3. Now, before I read the passage, have you ever had someone in your life promise you something and not follow through? They, they didn't keep their promise with you. They broke it. How does that affect the relationship? Kind of depends upon how you respond to that. Kind of depends upon how they respond to, to breaking the promise. Do they acknowledge it? Do they ask for forgiveness? Depends what the promise was about. There, there's a lot of variables at play with broken promises. There can be relational damage that takes place, especially if someone is consistently not doing what they say they will do. Now, flip the situation. Have you ever broken a promise? Have you ever not lived up to exactly what you said you would do? Unfortunately, we're all people who fall short. Others have let you down. You have let others down. And this is the nature of mankind, our fallen nature. Everyone's fallen short of the glory of God. Thankfully, there can be forgiveness because of the work of Christ, the goodness and grace of God. And this, this highlights a way that God is so vastly different than how, how we are. God is perfectly faithful. God always keeps his promises. Everything that God says he will do, he does it. Every time. He's trustworthy. He's true. You don't need to second guess what he says and if it will come to pass. So this morning, we're going to be reminded of the greatest promise that was ever made and the faithfulness of God in keeping that promise. And also see how that, the promises of God and the faithfulness of God impact our daily life. So if you haven't yet, turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be focusing in on verse 15, but I'm going to read 1 through 15. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the, tree, not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave 
some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Lord, we come before you this morning and we, we ask that you'd speak to us through your word, that we would be convicted, that we'd be encouraged, that we would see your goodness and your faithfulness and how you are a God who makes good promises and, and that you keep them. You are faithful and true in that, Lord. And so we thank you for this time. Amen. So in the beginning, it was good. In fact, God called it very good. The first not good in the Bible is that it's not good for man to be alone, but God created Eve and gave Eve to Adam in marriage. So that didn't last long. That one thing that was not good was remedied quickly. And Adam and Eve shared a wonderful relationship with each other and with God. So life is flourishing. There's no sin. There's no death. Think about how incredible a period of time, that is. No thorns or thistles to strive against in working the ground. It's hard to imagine gardening without having to deal with weeds or chemicals and bugs that destroy. I've had a number of experiences being ripped up by thorns and thistles. Every time it's a reminder right, of the curse of sin. The beginning was a unique moment in history. No guilt or shame due to any sin. No strife in relationships because, again, sin had not entered into the relationship. This is truly a, a remarkable moment in, in the history of mankind. Perfect relationship with God. Perfect relationships with each other between a husband and wife. But then we have the beginning of all of mankind's problems. The decision to sin. But we also have a promise in which there's salvation to come for those who repent and believe. And we read about this great promise in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first glimpse into the greatest promise given of all time. There is a son who is coming, offspring of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. 
a son who will bring victory over the enemy. And it's important to remember and see why it is that this promise was made. Before the promise of, of the death that will come for the serpent, there is the promise of the death of man if they disobey. Back a chapter, in chapter 2, verses 15 to 16, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So this is, this is the first promise of, of death to come. And it's a warning given to mankind if, if they were to sin. They have eternal life if, if they obey. But if they do not obey, then, then there is death. It's a, it's a loving warning from God to Adam. God has graciously provided them all of what they need for, for life. Um, but sin brings death. And, and we all know what happened. As, as we just read, Adam failed to live in accordance with God's will. Adam failed to provide protection and, and leadership for his wife. And Adam's failure... We all fail as, as Adam represents us all. In Adam, we all fall. Romans 5, 18-19 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Adam's failure to obey God, brought sin into the world for all of us. But you and I are, are, are no different than, than Adam. And we can't just look back at Adam in, in disdain and resentment and, and blame him uh, for our problems because he sinned. Each one of us has shown ourselves to be like our father, Adam, and our own choices, and our own thoughts, our own actions, and, and sin in our own life. So we can't just look back upon Adam and blame him for that. There's no escaping our own responsibility in the sin in our own life. Adam and Eve's problem is our problem as well. We can be tempted by what is in creation and the desires that are in our own hearts to use things for our own pleasure and glory at the expense and of the obedience to God. We can attempt to define what is good and evil for ourselves rather than having ears to hear and eyes to see and listen to how God has defined good and evil. And this is what happened in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning. And this is what happens today, continually. We see it in our world and we see it in our own hearts. Think, think for a moment about self-centeredness. The thoughts that come to mind in a self-centered heart can be like this. Will I enjoy this? Is this what I want? How does this benefit me? And then decisions are based upon the answers to those questions. Are those questions necessarily bad? Not necessarily. God made us to enjoy life and its benefits. But these questions by themselves are missing something. What is missing is God and what God has said. So a God-centered heart would look at what God says and act in accordance to his will 
rather than making decisions based upon our own personal desires. Adam and Eve chose to follow Satan, who led them to think about themselves rather than to think about God and to listen to what God had said, and the consequence is death. We see this play out in in, uh, chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. All the things she's being tempted with are things that she believes would work for her own best interest. But it was a lie. God's law is what is truly the best interest for man. And so death enters the world because of sin. And God is faithful in keeping this promise about death for mankind. He's faithful in that. He must be. He is just. He is righteous. The wages of sin is death. And God being all-knowing, all-powerful, all-sovereign, is not caught off guard by Adam and Eve and their sin, but has already ordained a way to mend this relationship with mankind, to bring people back into a right and perfect relationship with himself. The promise of a son who would crush the head of the serpent is made because God is not only just, but he is also merciful, gracious, and forgiving. We see the first display of God's grace and mercy towards sinners here. In order for man to be able to come back into a right relationship with God, God continues to work through his unchanging character as he is righteous, gracious, merciful, and forgiving, while also being just. And so we see the full display of God's character. God makes a promise, and he keeps it. What mankind deserved in that moment of sin was the full just wrath of God. They had chosen to rebel and be enemies, but they did not receive the full judgment and wrath of God they, they did enter into spiritual death as their relationship with God was, was broken, and they received some of troubling effects of sin, pain, sorrow, broken relationships, the corrupt, corrupted uh, earth that works against them, even physical death. But even though sin brought upon mankind a curse, God also provides a promise that is a blessing, a son. In in the midst of the consequence of death, life. As the promise of death is held, a promise of life is given. A son is a a living person. Um, A a living son who would bring death to the serpent and then provide life for his people. Look again at, at verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Notice that this promise is is made to the serpent, but it's a promise that's for the good of mankind. God speaks to the serpent, tells him his fate, what he's going to receive, a bruised head, a crushed head, death, this mortal injury, 
this promise that God makes to the serpent is not just speaking about hostility between reptiles and women, <laughs> enmity between, it's talking about there, there's a spiritual war at, at, at taking place between God's people and, and evil itself. And it is this son who will bring victory. And the question we ask now is, okay, so was God faithful in keeping his promise? Has there been a son who has crushed the head of the serpent? So in order for God to be faithful and true, then this needs to happen. Otherwise, he's no different than us, as we have broken promises to each other. The fulfillment of this promise is something that drives the history that we read in Scripture. There is great anticipation here. Who is it that is going to be this person who crushes the head of the serpent? Who would be the one to defeat sin and the devil and death? As we read through the Old Testament, what we encounter is the failure after failure of, of many sons. In a moment of doubt, it could seem like there is never going to be a son who provides victory. Cain, rather than fighting the sin that was within him, strikes down his brother Abel. He fights and, and kills his brother as he's not interested in, in righteousness, and he receives another curse upon his life. Cain is, is not the coming son who would put the serpent to death, but instead he, he follows the serpent in bringing death. Cain, Cain's life eventually comes to an end. And the people of the earth continue to grow evil, so much so that Scripture says in chapter 6, verse 5 of Genesis, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The ways of the serpent, which is rebellion against God, is firmly rooted into the heart of man. Wickedness grows great. Every intention of the heart, evil continually. But then, we, we read that there's, there's a man who found favor, who received the grace from God at Noah. Would Noah be the one? Noah listens to God, builds an ark when that seems strange and, and foolish. There could be some promise here with, with Noah. God makes a, a covenant with, with Noah. But we see that even Noah, this man who had received the, the favor of, of God, is, is a man who fails. He, he, he succumbs to, to drunkenness. Sinner. Noah is not the son who would fulfill this promise. Noah lives and dies. Another man named Abram makes an appearance. God promises to, to make him into a great nation, that he would be blessed, that his name would be great. This seems promising as well. He believes God and it's counted to him as righteousness. He obeys God and leaves his home, but Abram... Abraham fails as well. He allows his wife to be taken by, by the Pharaoh, and, and the Lord protects Sarah, but Abraham, he, he fails. He commits adultery with, with Hagar. 
Abraham lives and dies uh, without defeating the serpent. And he continues time after time to see the sin of the father Adam passed down in the family. Isaac also does not protect his wife. He lives and, and dies. Jacob is a deceiver. Jacob lives and dies. Joseph lives and dies. Moses, he, he strikes down an Egyptian. The Lord uses him to, to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. God gives Moses the law, and Moses leads the people well, but he still disobeys God. He's not allowed to enter into the promised land. Moses lives and dies. Joshua leads the people out of the wilderness and into the promised land. He overtakes Jericho because he, he listened to the Lord and, and marched around the city. It's, it's quite the accomplishment. But even with that accomplishment, accomplishment, death still finds Joshua as he is a sinner like his fathers before him. He lived and died. The people of Israel, they continue to disobey the Lord even after being set free from Egypt and were led into the promised land. The Lord has been faithful to them. The Lord is keeping his promises to them. He's proved it to them over and over again, but there's still rebellion in their hearts. And there's Israelite people enter into the time of the judges and we're still waiting for the sun to come. When will the sun come to crush the head of the serpent? Deborah is a judge, but she is not a son. Can't be her. She lives and dies. Gideon destroys the altar of Baal and defeats some enemies with 300 men. But Gideon was a man who also was not the son to defeat the serpent. He lived and died. We're picking up on a pattern here, aren't we? Samson strikes down many Philistines, but falls into temptation with a woman. Samson lives and dies. The time of the judges ends as the Israelites desire to have have a king. And so Samuel anoints Saul to be king of Israel. Saul was a tall and, and handsome man. It's really great qualities for a leader. Tall and handsome. Saul defeats some enemies, but he did not defeat the enemy. Saul makes an unlawful sacrifice. He does not completely listen to the Lord. He becomes jealous of David and even tries to kill him. In his jealousy and hatred for David, he, he pursues him, trying to, dis- trying to destroy him, but he fails. Saul eventually dies by falling on his own sword. So King Saul lived and died as well. But surely David shows some promise. He's a man after God's own heart. David, David he, he, he's also able to defeat wild beasts like lions and bears as he was shepherding his sheep. Maybe he could crush the head of a serpent too. He crushes Goliath's head with a sling and a stone. He has all sorts of victories. God even makes a covenant with David, so this is looking promising. Yet, he falls. And David is a murderer, an adulterer, 
David had shown some promise, but he is a sinner like his fathers before him, and he lives and he dies. And there are all these kings who, who do what is evil in the eyes of the Lord, horrible rulers of the nation who sacrifice their own children and make treaties with the surrounding nations rather than trusting in God. They worship and lead the nation in the worship of false gods. And so doing, they're, they're worshiping the serpent. There are not many good kings, and even the good kings aren't perfect and still fall. They all live and die. Death continues to have its victory. The Israelites go into exile under great nations and see their land taken, the temple destroyed. They're still waiting for the son who would crush the head of the serpent. This all takes place over a long period of time. It could make us wonder, will God ever keep his promise? How long, O Lord? How long do we need to be patient for you and wait for you? And the answer is, is, is a pretty long time. Uh, God is patient in working out his purposes. Um, there's 400 years in between the last book of the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. That's a long time. Um, they had been waiting so long already. But the, late, the, but the wait is worth it. After 400 years of silence, an angel appears to a young woman named Mary to bring some good news and tell her that she will conceive, even though she's a virgin. Joseph and Mary, who had not yet consummated marriage, have Jesus born in Bethlehem, a supernatural birth, a birth that does not have the problems inherited from Adam. For this child is, is God himself. As the prophet Isaiah prophesied in chapter 7, verse 14 of Isaiah, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, Behold, the virgin shall, shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we're going to look at that verse a little bit deeper next week. So the birth of Jesus is the great faithfulness of God in keeping his promise from way back in the beginning. Finally, the, the son of promise is born. God made his promise. God keeps his promise. And Jesus did, in fact, come and crush the head of the serpent. Where all the other men of Scripture failed, Jesus succeeds. Jesus did not fall into temptation like, like Adam. Jesus resists the serpent as he's tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Jesus is, a, is accused of, of drunkenness, but is not someone who falls into drunkenness or, or any type of immorality. He's perfect. Jesus never got married, but the church is metaphorically his bride. And Jesus laid his life down for the church rather than placing his bride in danger, like Abraham and Isaac did. Jesus is the better Moses in that Jesus fulfills the law and is a better mediator between God and man. In that Jesus, he fulfills the law. Jesus is the better king as he never does what is evil in the sight of God. Instead, he leads his people in the truth. And it is Jesus who lived a perfect life and, and died. But again, unlike all these other sons, Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death itself and is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus has defeated sin and death so that now those who believe in him can have their sins forgiven and eternal life 
given to them. As we read before in Romans 5.18, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The Son, Jesus, provides righteousness for all who believe in him. He defeats Satan on, on our behalf. And even though Satan has been defeated, there is, a, there is a final crushing of Satan's head yet to come. Revelation 12, 14, in speaking about the serpent, says, His tail swept a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Satan fails to devour Jesus. And then in Revelation 20, verse 9, it says, And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The final crushing of the serpent. And all of this is because God, in his mercy and in his grace, made a promise at the very beginning that a son would come and crush the head of the serpent, and God keeps his promise. So what does all of this mean for us? Trust in the faithfulness of God to keep his word. Trust in the faithfulness of God to keep his word. The old temptation from the very beginning is that we should not trust in God's word, but should trust in ourselves instead. This is false and, and leads to death. It is the Lord who is the provider of every good gift. Trust in the Lord, not in yourself. As the trials and tribulations of, of life come our way, we can remember the hope that we have in Christ. The hope of the head of the serpent being crushed and that Jesus does that for us. And God does not promise us that we will not have trials. And in fact, we know that we're going to have trials because of sin and, and suffering in the world. But God is gracious in walking through those trials with us. We have a, a real hope which can provide joy. We have a, a sure and steady hope that is not a, a hope of wishful thinking. That, that, that is very different than sometimes how we think about hope. An example of, of this, I know all, we've talked about this before, I know all of you are just as excited about the World Cup as I am. Uh, the United States needs to win on Tuesday to move on. And I hope that they win, right? So I have, I have this hope that they will win. That is not a hope that is guaranteed, Right? I have, no, I have no guarantee that knowing that they're going to win or not. I'm just hopeful that they are. Um, it's a wishful thinking. Uh, that, is, that is not the kind of hope that we have in Christ. Uh, the, the hope that we have in Christ, the hope of glory, hope of forgiveness of sin, hope of resurrection, 
hope of new life, eternal life, that is a hope that is sure and steady. It's a sure and steady anchor for the soul. It is guaranteed for those who repent and believe in him. This is a hope that you can know is going to happen and will be fulfilled because God keeps his word. God stays true to his word. So this is a very different type of hope. So now when we, when we face the death of a loved one, the, the difficulty of, of life, struggles at work, struggles at home, the, the fight of, against sin in your own life, those who have repented and believed in Jesus Christ, we have this guaranteed hope in Christ. No one can take that from you. No one can take that joy and that hope from you. You can be certain about your eternity. So take heart. As Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What else does this promise of of God from the very beginning mean for us and, and work out from us and apply to us? Reject the promises of the serpent. Reject the promises of the serpent. In contrast to God, Satan and sin never keep their promise. The natural language of the devil is to lie. The promise of sin always falls short and never deliver. The tongue of the serpent is smooth. It's deceitful. Temptation can look so good. By God's grace, resist the devil. What are the lies you are tempted to believe about God? What are the lies that you're tempted to believe about life, pleasure, good and evil? Instead of dwelling on the temptation and the lies, fill your mind with the word of God. I've hid your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. As we wage this war against sin, Remember to to trust in the word of the Son who came to crush the head of the serpent. Trust in the finished and complete work of of Jesus Christ. You, just like all the other men who went before you, are unable to defeat the serpent. But you can have victory in Christ who in humility came to earth, born as an infant, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death in your place, rose again from the dead, because of Christ's finished work, we were able to follow the Lord out of love, knowing that we don't need to try and win his favor. It is not us who crushes the head of the serpent, but we can rest and trust in the finished and complete work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Let's pray. Lord, we're, we're grateful and thankful for your incredible love. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to live among us and die for us. 
We thank you that uh, we, can, we can trust in, in the work of Christ, that in, in his defeat of, of Satan and sin and death. And then in, in Jesus' victory, we can have victory over Satan, sin, and death as well. Lord, help us to, to rest in, in the promises that you've given, that we would trust that you are, in fact, a God who keeps your promises, that we would hold fast to them. And so whatever it is that we face in life, that we would have this hope that is a sure and steady anchor for the soul, that we would keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus and uh, live our life for your honor and glory alone. Amen.